Daddy Squared Greatest Hits is sponsored by Dr. Mark Surrey, co-founder and medical director of the Southern California Reproductive Center. Dr. Surrey is a strong ally to the LGBTQ community, specializing in helping gay men build their families. Find more info on daddysqr.com slash scrc. Daddy Squared, the gay dad podcast with Alex Megan and Young Megan. Hello and welcome to Daddy Squared, the Gay Dads podcast. Alex, hi. Hello. This is the greatest hits episode. <laughs> I love that we're doing this. Right? I feel like it should have that kind of visual effect where we go back in time. Woo! We are still in the middle of pandemic. I can't believe it. Yes. And we're not coming back with another season until it's over. That's it. I've decided. No, you have not decided. Okay, we'll it's talk nice about it. It's nice that you think therapy. that you get to decide. In couples therapy, Mark will decide when the season starts again. We're going to look back at our three seasons uh, so far. Uh, I collected some of uh, the greatest moments. Maybe we'll start with the first with the first segment go, that I connected. Go. So this this is how it sounded the first minute of the first episode. You want to listen to it? Uh-huh. All right. Do that again. <laughs> Do it again. Hello we and welcome. <laughs> what is this? Welcome. Welcome to Daddy Square Podcast. Oh god. Yes. That's what this is. So, let's first uh, introduce ourselves. I'm Jan. Wait, I'm having espresso. And I'm Alex. And we're married. We are. Oh, that was it? Yeah, that was it. First of all, let me just say that the audio quality has improved dramatically. As <laughs> no, I'm saying we started laughing. Yes. We started laughing before even the audience knew who we are. Like, yes. Unacceptable. I think... I, I, I'm, not, I'm not crazy about I, this opening. We sounded so young back then, <laughs> back three years ago. It started in 2019. So let's uh, just do, for those of you just joining us, uh, I've never, I've never heard about Daddy Squared. We are gay dads. We are married. We are a couple. And we have twin... Uh, at the moment, they are almost five. Yeah. We started when they were... Before three. That's so, right. Um, so we did uh, quite a long... Uh, I had way. a fuller and richer head of hair at the time, too. That's right. Yeah. No, it's yes. true. The children have actually caused my hair to fall and out. And my hair was darker. Now it's yeah. whiter. Yep. And we met in Israel in, in a gym. Yes. In, <laughs> yes, uh, we did. In, 20, Tel- in Tel Aviv in 2007. We're and coming up on our 13th year together soon. Alex uh, is a technology executive at Warner Brothers. I am. And I'm a um, web designer and developer and uh, social media manager. And executive producer of Daddy of Squared. Of the show. Um, so we started with, with the first minute, but you know that usually is, uh, Alex is the funny one. And I'm like the serious one. Is that true? On the show. Okay. Right? I'm I, also could, serious. Well, I'm you funny. are serious, I'm serious, but I'm saying, I'm saying that uh, if, if, if we had to brand ourselves, Fine. like I'm the responsible adult. <laughs> okay. That's a bit of a stretch. Anyway, so you know. There I, are no responsible adults in this household, but I get your point. Even though you are the funny one, and, and it's for sure, I'm not even, I'm not even daring to, to argue about that. Um, the first gag on the show was mine. Ah, and let's hear it. To, yeah. so neither one of us uh, has a degree uh, in any of this in stuff. podcast broadcasting. Uh, no, I meant in you know raising kids or mm-hmm. any of that stuff. Uh, that's why we're interviewing people who uh, are experts in this area. But we have the expertise that comes from almost three years of being 
thrown into the freezing cold water of, of this. Poop. Of poop. Ah, the freezing cold water <laughs> of poop. That should be the name of this podcast episode. <laughs> yeah. Is, we're very poop-oriented. Um, very. Par- partly because we may have started out that way, but also our, we have twin boys, and um, what we're learning is it's only poop. All there only. is is poop. I mean, yeah. occasionally there's, there's flatulence, but... You know, that's also poop-related. Yeah, poop, uh, the poop doesn't end. Even though the diapers ended, yeah, the poop goes still on. poop jokes for here <laughs> till eternity. Um, so we are very much out there and outspoken about our couples therapy, right? Yeah. We talk about that all the time. We preach people, go, go to couples therapy. If you so, can afford it. Yes. Let's be fair. That's right. And it's funny that that was also the first episode of the first season. We started with that. Oh, we did? Yes. Oh. We said, before you are dads, oh, the first th- of oh, all, you are right. a couple. That's and right. Looking back, I'm yeah. seeing that uh, I'm happy that we kind of stayed on track with that. Uh, what I actually got from the couples therapy episodes that we had is from season three, uh, we interviewed uh, therapist Ken Howard, and he talked to us about anger a little bit about anger management mm. uh, between the couple, and I thought that was uh, something that we should uh, think about. Play it, Yanir, just play it already. Anger is a negative emotion, like sadness or worry or fear, combined with the idea that a principle has been violated. You know, if you're the, the father of a teenager and, you know, she has a curfew of midnight and you know, she comes in at, at 2.40 in the morning and you're sitting there waiting up for her and where have you been, young lady? You're angry, you know, one, because you were worried that your poor daughter could be lying in a ditch somewhere and number two, we had an agreement. Your curfew was midnight. It's now 2.40 yeah. a.m. Do you have an explanation for that? And when you think about deconstructing why you're angry, it's really thinking about the feelings behind it and then what principle has been violated. Yeah, I mean, that's that's actually really interesting. Both Jan and I have a very highly developed sense of justice, um, and I think that that results in us having a harder time going with the flow. We see things that the other has done, or even that our children have done, and our children are too young to be responsible for most of this stuff. And when they when they commit injustice, yeah, that, that certainly drives me nuts. Yeah. Um, we talk about couples therapy, but we also talk about the individual that we are, right? So um, if I would say, if I divide the podcast to three levels, uh, the first level would be who I am as an individual, then who we are as a couple, and then who we are as parents. So I think that we touch every every part of that these subjects. Mm. Uh, so for example, if we talk about the individual, one thing that I mentioned um in one of in season two, I think it was about the three pillars of happiness, which is work, love, relationship, and general relationships. Um, and we talk about the dad bod. You've gotten better at that. That was really good. well because at the beginning it's, it sounded like dead bod, yes. and you've you've really uh, you've really picked it up. You know something? Uh. I just realized that it's actually Siri. Uh, not Siri. What's her name? The other one, Alexa. Yeah. What about it's Alexa? Who's actually teaching me how to? Shh. She's listening. She's listening. Shh how to do the accent, because when I say dad bod, she's like, playing dad bod. Oh, that's actually really interesting. Play Bananarama. Yeah. I used to say Bananarama. Right. No, Bananarama. 
Yeah. You know, you have to say it like that in order for her yeah. to understand well, you. Anyway. Well, well, welcome to America, Jan. You're just going to have to do it right. Otherwise, Alexa will screw you over. So this episode uh, was in season one, was one of our earliest episodes. And the first time that we made merch, which can still be purchased at daddysqr.com. <laughs> yeah, get, get the Dadbot t-shirt. Um, and Tommy Wolfell, who was uh, a sprint instructor, uh, talked to us about uh, mind and body. As, as gay men, we have some influence to look better, even though no. we're dead. You mean pressure. You mean there's pressure yeah. on us to look better. Yeah. Yes, that's that true. pressure is there. Yeah. I mean, in the gay community, um, for, for most people, yeah, whether it's self-imposed or whether they feel it is imposed by the community, um, there are a lot of people who would say that is a, a bad thing. Some people say that is a good thing because it motivates them to stay healthy and working out and you know there's it goes hand in hand if you work on the outside you're benefiting the inside yeah yeah that's true that's all there is to it a little mensana in corpore sano a little bit a little bit of that for you um that's i'm sure that that's absolutely true obviously there's some kind of threshold after which it starts to become ridiculous yes you know but uh, speaking about uh, that, I think that uh, the coronavirus and the and the pandemic and the quarantine, we talked about how we didn't take care of our body, and, and we felt we felt bad. Yes. It, it's actually it's kind of related. And I told you that one of the fun things that we're gonna have is the transition. Yeah, I posted yesterday my first shirtless photo on Instagram. <laughs> I got a very good response. Mazel tov. Look, look, I'll tell you what, it's absolutely true. There was a period of about a month and a half when the thing started where I was just eating cookies, insomnia cookies. By the way, insomnia cookies, not a sponsor of Daddy Squared, but they could be. We support them. You told me that they, uh, it's like uh, jail people. Who does that? I I think that they, at least at the one that we go to, I think that there are, uh, it's almost entirely run by ex-convicts and they're, they're they're lovely and they make good cookies. But they're lovely. They are lovely. But, but, but uh, the thing is that um, we ate like pigs. We didn't care at all. I think that my attitude was, well, look, this thing's going to last two or three months and I'm just letting it all go. And I started to feel emotionally terrible and not quite knowing why. And it was largely, I think, chemical, you know, the effect that this kind of thing happens. And now we're on our way back. We're on our way. On our spin bike on the way. That's right. One other thing, so we're talking about uh, the individual and uh, relationships and I think that one of the most prominent uh, episodes about this was uh, when we talked about the gay friends oh, yeah. of gay dads. And we had Dwayne Landry and Scott, our friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dwayne actually said something really interesting about the relationship. Listen what he has to say. Um, that, and that's how it is. I don't want to be cliche, but that's how it is with Tommy and, Tommy and Rich. I mean, they very are, are much family. Um, because there have been times where I have felt loved, let down by them. Um, either because they weren't there or because I, I would I would like for them to sense that yes he needs he needs me right now um, and I know that I've I've probably done the same with them with with not being present or something like that but for me it's it's that it, it, it's the it's the gratitude and the the forgiveness and the allowance that you give family right. and that comes into play right and and I think it's crucial particularly in the in the in the early years when when they're when they still are trying to figure it out because you're trying to figure it out too and right. I, don't, I don't always do the same thing I mean I gave the boys their first guns without permission that they were toy guns <laughs> 
Well, you're from Texas, so I'm surprised. I'm surprised <laughs> that they oh, were toy Texas? toy guns. He's from Louisiana. I'm from Louisiana. Tommy, oh, Tommy's from Texas. Potato, potato. <laughs> oh shit! I said potato, potato about Texas, and very nice, very nice, very Alex. nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was in the first season, and one of the most interesting episodes that we did, I think. Yeah, I mean, it was. And and by the way, um, we can, hopefully, Scott will be listening to this episode and maybe he can let me know. I actually think my relationship with Scott has gotten better over the course of the last, you know, since we recorded this. Partly because of the episode itself, but partly because it turns out that the amount of time that you collapse as a parent is much longer than I would have thought. Meaning, I thought maybe, okay, you know, six months, it'll be bad, and then I'll be able to rebound. No, more like three years. Um, And I think that over the last two years, I've been able to interact with my friends in a much more open and available way than I could before. So, what we're saying is it, it gets better. Well, it does get better, but I mean, I, I, I do think that it's worthwhile when you're, when you're going into having kids to realize some of these very specific things that will almost certainly happen, even though you and your friends say, no, it won't. Yeah, You're going to have some trouble with your friendships. Um, and maybe realizing that and even talking about it ahead of time is a good thing. I think that... It also depends on the personality of the people. I mean, for us, it was it was a like a deconstruction thing, the whole parenting and the whole first two years or three years. Yep. But let's look at our neighbors who have twins as well, and they're a little bit younger. Yep. And for them, it's easy, and they actually thinking about having more. Now. Okay. So you know, number one, really- um, not everybody is podcasty, meaning not everybody just barfs out all of their experiences online and to whoever will listen to them on the street corner. So we don't know everything about how difficult it may be for them or how easy it may be The fact that they want to have them. more kids, it says by itself. I you mean, know? There, it might, there might be drugs involved. We don't know. <laughs> Stop that. You know them. They're innocent. <laughs> no. Let's they're, talk. They're gay or, men. All right. No. You know, let's talk about parenting now. Uh, this is a large portion of, of our podcast on, on a general basis. I thought that's what this podcast was actually no, I, about. Y- yes, but I was talking about the three levels. Ah, right? go on. So who we are as parents now. I want to start the parenting uh, segment of the show with uh, a story that Alex told in the second season. One of my least favorite things is as you are potty training your children and you have twins and one of your children is uh, sitting on the toilet and the other one doesn't, can't wait and the other one, you know, makes a poop in his pants and you are um, wiping the butt of the first kid while you're pulling the pants down of the second kid and poop is coming out of the pants and you are trying to kind of keep it from rolling onto the floor and it's dim and dark because it's nighttime and then you sit him, you try to move him and you sit him and you realize that there's now poop on your shorts that you're wearing and there's poop everywhere, poop, poop, poop and then okay, then you pick it up, you pick up all the clothes after you clean it up and you put them in the washing machine and then without knowing, the rest of the laundry goes in, the washing machine is run and now poop is liberally distributed it's around. It's a true story, yeah, by the liber- way. Li- liberally, yeah, I'm not just making this up. It is liberally distributed around all of your clothing, smoothly and evenly, so that there's a thin patina of poop on everything and on the inside of the washing machine. And the dryer. And then the dryer, which 
kind of bakes it in so that you're <laughs> sure that the poop is forever. And these are, you know, my experiences. <laughs> um, so I want to tell you that we it, talked about poop. We, right? <laughs> see, there's poop. I also want to point out. Um, I I once tried to read uh, a book. Um, uh, by Sigmund Freud or about Sigmund Freud. I, now I can't remember. It was really hard to read. And my takeaway from the entire book was that the, not the Oedipus complex. It was boys want to poop in their pants. I don't know. Really? Yeah. It's just with he. He, I think, himself had a massive poop fixation, and so yeah. he'd like to talk about it a lot. Um, but apparently, my children are also of the Freud camp. Ooh. <laughs> um. So yeah, poop. Look, Love. things. Things. There are so many things that used to totally disgust me before the children were born that I now could not care less about. It has no effect on me whatsoever, except for Jan. It's not. It's not. Wet, like elastic snot. Well, I pick it up with my oh, hands. I will. I will scream like a little girl seeing a mouse. <laughs> Sorry, forgive me. That was sexist and other assists. Um, and scream, and I'll tell him, "Yeah, come in here. There's snot." <laughs> All right, let's. Uh, so that was the from the potty training area. Um, and God knows we never spare anybody any bad story, <laughs> which is, <laughs> what can I say? Yeah, that's part of our charm. <laughs> Here's another uh, reflection from the third birthday. Uh, also for us, I think it's a good milestone because the f let's, let's just say that the first year was horrible, shit, shit. horrible, horrible. Yeah. The second year was a little bit better, but still horrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, third year, better. Thir third year was was definitely a step up. We are yes. we are and heading in a positive direction. Yes, they're finally becoming human. Yep, they're not just blobs who shit and cry. No, they're humans who shit and cry, <laughs> and uh, we don't understand what it is about. Yeah, and we are looking forward for the future, which yeah. is toilet training. Oh yeah, that'll be exciting. Although I have to honestly tell you that all of this fixation on how hard, you know the diapers are and everything it's not that's not the bad part of parenting it's, it's not but not. you know it, it definitely makes it it's uh, the screaming easier. the screaming it's, is the bad so part let's of just parenting say, you're right yeah. i i don't disagree it's okay. just that first of all it's it's free it's yes. much more free for us um but also of course the fact that they will understand when we're actually explaining to them that they can't have this or that right now which will be what at 25 26 years old that they'll be able to understand that I, they can't have I everything really, that they want no i really i am looking forward to this year really huh? i'm i think i think that this year is going to be the year in which everything will be so much better for us and <laughs> it's going to be easier dream a little dream Yay. yes and how did that turn out for you jan <laughs> you know I, th I remember that when they were three, I said, I wish they would be four already. And now that they're almost five, I'm like, yeah, I can't wait for them to be six. <laughs> you know? So I don't know what it, what it says about me, but... I feel you know. that at this time, we need to just take a moment to tell you guys that we are insanely in love with our children because I'm afraid <laughs> I'm afraid that you might be taking all of this the wrong way. We yeah, are let's talk yes let's talk a little bit about them. Okay. Because you know Sam, I, I don't really like that the reason why we clean out the dirty laundry 
on our podcast is because ah. I don't really like when people say that everything is roses and fantastic. Right. But there are these moments where, well, first of all, we are crazy and obsessed and in love with them. I, I think that it's the reason why we, we're saying that is because we want to give um, a kind of... Um, Approval. I don't know if approval is the right word, but but to say that it's okay to sometimes oh. not like your kid. I actually think that it matters so much, not only because, you know, people need to have the permission to communicate their feelings, which, geez, you know, sometimes our society makes it really hard. And by the way, I'm almost certain that this is an area where it's much harder for women than it is for men. A woman is not allowed to be anything but thrilled with the every moment of motherhood, you know, and a father at least gets to bitch you know about it m yeah. more openly so i i think that that's true i also think that it's part of the way my mother communicated with me i don't know if when i was four but certainly as i was a little bit older she made it clear to me when things were hard for her as a mother and how they were hard for her and I actually think that's really healthy. Like, so it's not just about us bitching about the kids on the podcast. It's also about making our kids understand that we're human and yeah. that this stuff is so difficult that maybe occasionally they should give us a break. And I would like to announce that I think at the age of almost five, we've almost started to have some of those experiences yes. where they give us a break. And it's that's miraculous. True. Um, right now, for example, they're enjoying their iPads where we're recording this. They so, are. Or, um, or they're clocking each other over the head with the iPads. We don't know, but I'm sure they're fine. And this is a story about how we tricked Ben. I think it was one of the first time we, that we discovered that we can actually do that. Um, ben uh, hates changing out of his night clothes um, in the morning uh, to get into his you know, day clothes to go to the to go to school and all that kind of stuff. And it's really challenging. And so the other day, while he was screaming and yelling about how he doesn't want to change, my husband goes into, Jan, that is, goes into the kitchen. He gets a little cup of water. And I'm like looking at him like, what are you doing? And he walks over towards Ben and he pretends to trip and fall and spills water all over the child. It was just a little bit. It was, it was just a little bit of water. And then he goes, oh, no. And Ben goes, oh, no, now I'm wet. And he says, now you're wet. We're going to so have sorry. to change your clothes. I'm so sorry. It was brilliant. It was inspirational. And it's just my way of saying that, you know, there's an awful lot of trickery and manipulation that goes into good child rearing. Well done, Jan. <laughs> yeah, we, we, so uh, I have said on the podcast before that, um, at least in our experience, an awful lot of parenting is founded on lies. So lies include things like, um, oh, that store is closed on Tuesdays yeah. from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Like ridiculous things that you make up because you're desperate to be left alone. Yeah, that story was from season one. And, uh, and then we had, later on in the season, we had Mike Stommel, who talked to us about uh, being a working dad. Um, and he said something really interesting about these type of trickery. My younger sister, when she was pregnant and my brother-in-law came over for dinner one night, I said, you know, there's only one piece of advice I'm going to give you as, as a parent. I'm like, at the time I had two kids and I said, you know, the only advice I'm ever going to give you is this one thing. I'm like, parenting is all about who can out manipulate who. Wow. And now having a 10 year old daughter, it's 100% true. 
And I, and I, I totally and I say agree. manipulate. In the, I think manipulate can be a bad word. I think in this sense, it's not. I mean, for kids, it's you know crying, it's whining. They want something. Yeah. Um, as they get older, you know, they lie or yeah, you know, they try to manipulate you to get something they want. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just it's setting out rules that you know. First of all, if you're two parents and you're having kids and raising kids, get on the same page and never let the kids, you know, see you separated. Right. Um, especially as the kids get older. But I think it's it really is just about, you know, managing the kids and and being consistent. What do you say, Mr. and Mrs. Trump Senior? Probably screwed that up pretty bad. Um. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. And here's the thing: when they're younger, it's much easier to stay aligned with your partner. As they get older, and especially because they get more sophisticated, so they can try to oh, manipulate they're to you to, to fight. They, right? I mean, they are like they're. It's like geopolitics. The way they're working one of us against the other. And I didn't know that Jan said this to the kid, and then they say, "Well, you know that Abba, we he's called Abba. Abba said X Y Z, which he never did, and I fall for it, and then all hell breaks loose." Yeah. Look, I I actually want to say that what I find almost scientifically fascinating is that from the moment a baby is born, they don't have anything else going on. There is no, there are no long-term plans. You know, there are no other people in the world. All there is is them and you. And what that means is that they have nothing to focus on other than how to get the thing that they want. Right. right, and they're humans, which means they're smart, and that means that th- that you have a human being whose only focus is to manipulate you from the very day that they're born, and they're going to succeed. Yeah, um, and and it's funny because these these little stories that I picked up from uh, from our three seasons is um, why these exactly demonstrate the fact that it's okay to feel sometimes bad about about things, and it's okay to talk about them and not make it seems like everything is perfect all the time because what happens is that you're stuck with your with your problems and nobody can help you and when you say it out loud to other people i think it's what happened to us i mean a lot of the times i get we get um on people listeners who commented on things that we say on the podcast and and their response and their story makes us feel better and most of these come from our, our struggles. Yep. So, um, one of the, the stories that, uh, that I liked uh, from season two, uh, Devin Gibby, who's uh, dad and daddies uh, on Instagram, Instagram influencer, he talked about traveling with the kids, but not telling them where we're going. Oh, this, un- yeah, this was cool. Yeah, until the first, the last minute. So let's hear that. They ever tell you, no, we don't want to go there. No, they, they love traveling at this point. Um, and I usually don't tell them where we're going until like a day or two before. All right. Okay. Uh, just so that their opinions don't have as do much. Do you tell them that you're going somewhere, but you don't tell yeah. them where? Yeah, I say we're going to go a on a trip. Good idea. Wow. Um, and you'll find out the day before. And That's cool. That's a great idea. And I usually, yeah. you know, try and find a way to to surprise them. He says surprise because it's, uh, but but I, I understand the the methodology behind it. Yeah. No. Although I have to admit that I had this image in my mind suddenly. <laughs> <laughs> blindfolding your children and throwing them in the back of the car. Um, oh, please. I, 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 I do think that, especially with one of our kids, um, there's this really interesting balance between um, uh, 
control, which is a positive thing, where they have a sense of control over what's going to happen. And at the same time, not so much surprise, but telling them you must go with the flow. Because sometimes control is just opening the door to no. You know, it's just, you know, we want you to go here. It's an amazing experience. And for some reason, which sometimes is like literally the words in the name of the place where you're going to go, (laughs) don't appeal to them. And then you've just like ruined the entire experience. Yeah, Or the other way around when when we say we're going to Palm Springs, which we are. But when we tell them um, at like two weeks before that, is it today? Can we go now? Do you want to go now? And that uh, continues. Then, of course, that's my attitude towards things, too. But, uh, yeah, it's true. (laughs) So, uh, Jesse Brun-Huran, we interviewed him in season three. He talked about, he mentioned um, that it's okay to to think that your three-year-old is a dick sometimes. And I love this part. I think Jesse is amazing by itself. But what he said here, I think it's... It's truly, truly, truly amazing. Listen, I fail every day as a parent. My husband called me the other day. Um, I was running late from work, and he was having to take care of the kids and put them to bed all by himself. And he's like, Tony, who's our top, or he's going to be four, he's like, he's just doing this and this and this and this. And, and, then he was, and then he was like yelling, and then he was doing this and then this. And I, and I could feel how overwhelmed he is. I'm like, honey, he's an asshole. I was like, he's three years old. Three-year-olds are assholes. I'm like, and I'm like, if you're making it through the day, Without killing a child, congratulations, you're a successful parent, yep. all right? I'm like, just get him to bed. Yep. <laughs> and I'm like, he's like, oh, thanks for saying that. I'm like, man, he's a dick. Living with these kids, <laughs> kids these ages are like living with suicidal alcoholics. It's not fun. <laughs> I forgot about that. It's true. <laughs> oh. So it kind of reminds me the whole focus that was on parenting during the coronavirus because suddenly people realize how much of an issue it is and how hard it is to keep kids in the house and you know trying to maintain some sort of a life while keeping them safe and whatever um and, and yeah i think it's part of it i mean Look, I mean, let's just pause for a moment to realize that, um, I mean, there are stories about this in the newspaper every day, the effect that, um, you know, this pandemic has had on family life is not even measurable because what we're talking about is it was one thing when, you know, the first two years of your, three years of your kid's life you know, you were a single mom or something and you were spending 24 hours a day with your child, which in itself is shocking and difficult. But now we're talking about that going on until they're 18 years old or beyond where your kids are with you all the time and in the same house, apartment, whatever it might be. And I, I, just instinctively think that that is not healthy. We sent our kids, by the way, to school for a relatively long day just as they turned three years old. And I remember that our nanny, our wonderful, wonderful nanny, really thought that was a bad idea. She thought, keep them at home for one more year. And as much as she's a wonderful, wonderful nanny, I think she was wrong. Yeah. I think I think it depends on the kids. Maybe, maybe Our that's kids true. Was very much, it, it was you could see that they're ready, and yeah. and it proved itself. I mean, yeah. there was no a lot of crying and stuff like that. We pretty much took off the first day. Yeah, that's true. And and now they're back all day, every day, yeah. and there's plenty of crying. <laughs> 
Um, to close off this uh, segment about uh, parenting fail, I want to play something from David Bertka. Mm-hmm. We interviewed him on the second season. He's the husband of Neil Patrick Harris. And he tried uh, to comfort us about our, our parenting struggle with toddlers. Two yeah. boys, amazing. Two boys. It, it, so, I mean, it's how old are they? They're three and a half. Oh, wow. You guys are in it still. We're in it. You guys are in um, it. Oh, why? Do you get out of it? Yeah, that's get out of when when tell us four and a half five years old, you start going oh this is why we had kids because I feel like from one to four and a half you're you're still going what am I doing I'm not that I uh, that I haven't figured out but I think they you know once they turn four and a half to five there's a reason you can reason with them and they're fun and they're bringing stuff to the table and there's a lot to you know they're they're you're doing stuff together as opposed to just doing stuff for them yes we're seeing. glimpses early early glimpses of that and i know what you mean or at least i i feel it coming and it's uh oh yeah we, we fantasize golden, about that the golden years from uh, i guess five until around ten there is absolutely no doubt that he was right about that totally right and i will tell that you that is why we had kids <laughs> yeah they're this four and past, a half this past year maybe even just six months there have been these moments where they have been charming and wonderful and sweet and funny and uh and give you space well and this is the moment i need to share with everybody this okay share okay we got we (laughs) not that kind of not that kind of share um i will tell you that um i got an espresso machine and it very much excited one of our children because he likes machines and I showed him how to make an espresso. And the other day, he asked me while I was sitting facing my computer screen doing work whether or not I would like an espresso. And I said yes. And he went away and came back three or four minutes later with an espresso. And that was <laughs> the first time that one of my children has actually done something for me in the first four and a half years of their lives. And I cried. I cried a little That's bit amazing. while I was drinking my espresso. <laughs> Uh, salty espresso. Uh, um, so we we complain about our kids, but we also learn from them. And I think that the best segment that I could find about how we learn uh, from our kids is from uh, the third season, Dr. Courtney Bolton. She's a specialist and a parenting coach, and she talked about uh, problem solving, which I think is kind of on point for ourselves between ourselves and with the kids and teach our kids that it's more giving him some tools that he can start thinking through so he's fixated on that list right, right. we're talking about the Taylor Swift list to of think some about other things that he can do so and this is a lot of kids will fall apart because they think about having to have one specific item or one specific thing done a very specific way and we want to help them create a little bit of flexibility and a little bit of critical thinking so a little you know problem solving so we help them with problem solving skills so it's either redirection or kind of kind of that creative problem solving. So what can we do if we don't have the list? And that's really mm-hmm. something that you do. I mean, even adults sometimes need yeah. facilitation in that, right? Like we just get in that moment where we think, oh my goodness, I don't have this, I'm done. And then it's right. like, okay, wait, actually, is there something else that I can bring in and present? Mm-hmm. Is there you know, something? Right. Interesting. So we just sort of walk them through that and give them some other options. Uh, it's at this moment that I need to say uh, she's obviously right. She's incredibly right. She was incre- that episode was one of my favorites. Yeah, and by the way, just a moment 
that is an episode you need to listen to. What episode was that? Uh, it's called Imperfect Parenting. It's on season three. That's an episode you need to listen to because it's got utility. It literally has like, yeah. here are some, right? But I also want to say this. Um, this is an area where my husband does it and does it right and I don't. And I'm not just saying this because I want that very special sexual thing that you do. Um, it's because uh, there's... Uh, uh, I get triggered emotionally from the screaming or the crying or the the tantrum throwing, and all of my frontal lobe function goes away. So a lot of the ideas that she puts forth don't. I don't get the chance. I don't. I've already gone crazy at that point. Whereas Jan is he's got his brain is fully engaged in the strategy of managing the the kids and um i would love to learn how to get there but i do think that it matters because you can't raise them with your emotions it won't work well so, courtney gives uh, uh, all of our listeners um one free session on coaching i think we should use ours we haven't yet yeah. Just saying. Okay. Um, on season two, we talked with uh, journalist Ariel Foxman about instilling pride in our kids. Um, and he uh, talked about how they teach their kid uh, respect. It's tempting but overwhelming to think of pride, capital P, or whether it's cultural or racial or religious, whatever it is, right? Um, but I think that what really matters is like the little things that you do consistently that add up. And for me, and I know for my husband, it really boils down to not being judgmental as best we can as human beings and respecting everyone as they cross your path. I think, you know, it's, it's probably easier to say, oh, well, you know, take them to museums and read them books and, you know, put them in a class and be very, very proud about the things that you are. And then be in a household where like, they don't treat some relatives nicely. They talk about people behind their back. They're short with a waiter in a restaurant. Like mm -hmm. they're these things that insulate people um, and make them feel better or higher than other people. I think that uh, it's all about our behavior. It's not even teaching. We don't actively doing anything. Yeah. It's just us behaving. And I think that's the core of, of what I'm trying to do. Ariel Foxman is dreamy. He's and, so dreamy. And I don't even mean like in a dirty kind of way, although he's, even, a, he's yeah. adorable. He's yeah. adorable. But no, the, I loved that interview because he is just like one of these thoughtful uh, um, sincere, earnest people, you know, and um, when you're making jokes all the time, as I tend to do, uh, it's a little shaming because, you know, he was, he was so real about all of it. Um, and as far as that thing is concerned that he said, I mean, yes, it's in generally, it's true about being an example and, you know, but, also, that very particular focus on being kind, you know, I don't, I know that Jan can tell you, um, there have been a few moments over the course of the last five years where I have been terrified that my children aren't kind. Yeah. Turns out you can't really judge it that early uh, because, you know, things, things turn around, but... 
Yeah, I mean, when the first time you see one of them care about the other one when he bumps his head, or the first time that they ask you, you know, why are you upset, or something like that, or they give you a hug, the whole universe lights up because you say, oh, my child might be a good person. Yes. Wow. And that's really, that's crying worthy. Like, oh, that's, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Daddy, that's QR.com. We try to, co- to cover in a, on our podcast all types of gay parenting. Uh, when people say gay dad, it mostly throws us to surrogacy or adoption. Uh, but there are other forms of gay dads w- that we touched on our, on our show. I think there are five types that we counted. The first uh, that we're going to present is gay dads who married women. And came out and we had a whole episode the season finale of the th- of season three uh, it's very very interesting we had two stories of dads who came out after they had kids with women and in the first story Kate Bartlett told us that after he had struggled with this in my in himself when he came out when he started talk about about it with somebody else he got ne- negative reaction which caused him to some anger and emotions. So let's hear uh, that. I had somebody that was very close to me that was almost like a mother. And she, during my marriage, um, she was, you know, she's very religious. And she kept me in track. You know, I'd go to her and say, I'm, you know, I'm having the ceilings for sin. My marriage is on the rocks. And, and she'd do the same thing. You know, you just got to lean into God more. You got to pray more. You got to, got to, got to. And uh, um, when it finally came down to it, you know, and she said that this was a choice, you know, I kind of lost it. And I said, who in the hell in their right mind would choose this shit? Right. Yes. With all the baggage and the crap and the threats and the, even the murder that happens, who would choose this? Why would anybody want to choose that? Why would they want to choose it? Because of the clothing and Liberace and Cher. No, he's, he's, uh, he's obviously very, very right. And by the way, I just, one of the things about interviewing him and some of the other... Uh, I got chills from these stories. Yeah, me too. But one of the things that's been so great about this podcast for me is, you know what? I think it's really hard for people to step out of their own experiences. And... I am incredibly blessed as hard as it was to come out of the closet oh I'm supposed to say come out sorry I'm showing my age as hard as it was for me to come out and all of that I have had the most blessed gay life my God and then you hear these stories about what so many other people have experienced and it's critical that we share those experiences with each other and and with the whole community um, and Yeah, these, yeah, these guys had it tough. Yeah, um, so another type of parenting that we touched was known sperm donor. <laughs> oh, this is great. Known sperm donor is the hardest set of words that Jan has, has ever, ever tried to yeah. say. Um, we talked with uh, David in season one, and let's hear a segment from that. So, I mean, unfortunately, this is still an area where I think we need a... We need more resources. It's something that's been on my mind a lot because still to this day, if you Google known sperm donor, my name and my column is usually the first thing that pops up. So <laughs> still there needs to be more resources. Yeah. And it's difficult, though, because it's not something again, like anytime anyone's reached out to me for advice, I'm more than happy to talk to anyone that's considering it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, people will tell me the, their specific context and their circumstances, and they're all so different. It's really hard to, you know, there's no one path forward here. I, I would say that it, 
uh, make sure you're doing it with people that you know and trust and love. This isn't something to do willy-nilly. Um, it's something that will change your life. And um, yeah, so a lot of hard work and thought needs to go into it. But um, but I will say that at Gays With Kids, this is we're trying to make more resources for every different type of path yeah. to parenthood. And this is one of one of the ones that we're still working on. Yeah, so that was David Dodge. And I just want to explain that known sperm donor is a dad who is not the responsible parent. Like, it, like in his example, he gave his sperm to a lesbian couple, but their kid know that he's the actual biological father. Mm -hmm. So he calls him dad, I think. You Some said that there are five groupings, yes, but each one of them in itself is divided up by the yes. different ways that people live their lives, you yeah. know, so. Um, so, so yeah, and another type that we touched is uh, co-parenting. Co-parenting is basically when a man and a woman who are not with each other romantically uh, uh, decide to, to make and raise a child in some kind of a connection with each other. It doesn't mean that they live in the same house. Uh, it could be, you know, uh, two days, one house, three days, another. It could be that uh, the father comes in every now and then, but in some way they have a relationship about raising the child. Yeah, and we had Bill and JR from San Francisco who talked to us about that and I think uh, they they actually gave us some very good tools uh, for audience and people and gay men who want to actually uh, go through the whole uh, the co-parenting uh, route and they talk about dating the person that they're going to have child with in a sense of try to figure out if this is the right person to yep. to do this with. Well, it's because of all those. That's why we call it dating, because, you know, just like dating, you're spending this time trying to get to know this person to see if you're compatible. One of the reasons why. Well, one of the things we always stress with co-parenting is personalities are the key. You cannot have a control freak. You cannot have a doormat. You know, everybody has to be pretty agreeable and flexible and willing to compromise. And that's what we got to know about Marguerite and ourselves during this process. We talked about everything from. Okay, what if we find out that there's, you know, there's a health risk for the baby or for the mom, is abortion on the table? Right. I'm atheist. JR's agnostic. Marguerite's Catholic. She wanted to raise her, you know, her kids in a Catholic tradition. How are we willing to compromise on something like that? So there are some pretty, pretty deep discussions we had, but we were always calm about it and reasonable and rational, and all of this went into a, a parenting document, which I actually pulled up this morning. We signed that document on this exact day, November 23rd in 2005. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, I just, I, I want to get philosophical for a moment. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. Another thing that parenting as a gay couple has taught me is that the very, very old-fashioned way of doing things made a lot of sense. No, not the homophobic men can't be together part, but an awful lot of the other parts. The parts that say that love between the two people is not the only factor that matters you actually are you're putting together a family structure and there are all kinds of complexities associated with that where's the money going to come from where are the child where's the child going to live how are you going to raise them all yeah. of this kind of stuff and it, i think that movies taught us that no two people fall in love and then a baby pops out and Everything is perfect, and I actually like the idea of thinking these things these things through and planning them out, and sometimes some, even writing and, them down. And you actually touched on on one thing that I try to think about a lot lately, which is movies ruined love. Uh huh. 
And I think that the same way TV has ruined friendships. Because you see TV shows like Friends and all of the others, you know, hit TV shows and they present friendship in a way which is not real. It's not realistic. Sometimes. Not to mention the fact and that it's also... And if somebody else thinks the same or differently, please comment about this because I'm thinking about Friends lately. Not, not in a negative way, just lately. All right, well, now let's spend a little bit of time talking about, you know, the actual process of making the babies, um, in vitro fertilization, adoption. Let's start with adoption. Let's so do it. Um, we interviewed on season three, Daniel Vandenbark, who adopted his son, talked about why he feels that gays are on the planet, and I, th- I thought it's really sweet. Uh, so we talked more seriously about it, and then it was, of course, the, do we do in vitro, do we do adoption? Which then ties back into some of my deep-rooted beliefs on why gays are on the planet, one of them being just a giving love to people and kids who need the love, but also population control. Anyway, we battled through that. I really wanted to see what my own DNA would look like. And so through the course of it, we decided we could buy a house and remodel it nice and make it a nice home for the family and adopt. <laughs> or we could do the in vitro process. Yes, we're familiar with that uh, <laughs> that question. Yeah, I tend to be one who I want my cake and eat it too. So it's like, well, let's adopt and in vitro and remodel the house. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the reason why we're on the earth, huh? Um, mm. It's interesting. I mean, because gay men... Uh, and, and and lesbians and everyone on whatever spectrum uh, we're talking about, because they did not have the right, the ability to live their lives openly and construct families easily, et cetera, in the past, um, it's all new. And that newness is actually pretty cool because what it means is that we can pick and choose the aspects of traditional relationships that we want to embrace and we can mess with it too. And so if there's one thing that I think that gay people uh, can contribute to society, it's the permission to much more broadly experiment with thousands-year-old traditions about relationship and family. And that experimentation is obviously necessary because, dear God, look at the amount of divorce and the amount of young single parenting and all of this kind of stuff that's going on. Might as well experiment because it's not like it's been working perfectly. Yeah, I think that we we ourselves learn a lot about adoption throughout uh, the the podcast because we did uh, IVF and surrogacy. Yep. We did not really go through that route of, nope. of adoption and we learned all we know through that. So, um, and we still are. And I think it's it's amazing. It's an amazing way and it's fascinating and the stories are, are amazing. And what's the most amazing is that there's no difference at the end. When you come when you come to it, it doesn't matter if your child is biologically oh, yours yeah. or not. It's it's but the parenting in the same is the same, the relationship in the, is the same. And um I want to play something from season two. Uh we had a guest, Eric Alexander, Nola Papa. Remember that mm-hmm. that accent? Mm-hmm. He tells us a story about his daughter realizing for the first time who her birth mother is. She knew that person, but she didn't know she was her birth mother. Right. And her first meeting with her. She came over for dinner. And, it, you know, Allie Mae had to warm up to, to her like she does with any kind of unfamiliar situation. Um, it took about 30 minutes. But then she told me she was in the living room uh, while her birth mother and Douglas were in the kitchen. She said, can you go get my birth mother? <laughs> and 
I, I, I was, I mean, three and a half, like she was 12 or 13 <laughs> all of a sudden. Yeah. Right. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll, yes, ma'am, I'll go get her. So I went in and I, I told her she was being summoned and uh, <laughs> she walked into the living room and Allie Mae looked straight at her and said, are you my birth mother? And she said, well, y- yes, I am. And she said, um, well, can we go play with toys, birth mother? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and uh, that was that was that. It was like addressing an elephant in the room. The kids don't know that there are thousands of years of established rules for the way families are supposed to be. And isn't that a wonderful thing? It I mean, is. you know, uh, when we sent our kids to their first year of school, they were just turning three. And we were very concerned with how many other kids would be in their class that had gay dads. And in their class, actually, there were none that year, um, even though there were gay dads in the school. Um, and we were worried about it. And it turns out, it, as long as the environment is good, it doesn't really matter because the kids look around and they say, well, that's just the way it is, yeah. right? And uh, that is awesome. It is. Um, so we want to talk also a little bit about surrogacy. And for that, because this is a subject that it's ever-changing, uh, we had a new interview. So we have Dr. Mark Suri of SCRC Beverly Hills. We went to his office uh, last week and we talk to him about the new technology and new advancement in surrogacy. So let's hear that interview. Dr. Sari, thank you so much for joining us and thank you it's for your support of Daddy Squared. We ah. really appreciate it. It's, it's my pleasure. Uh, I have a uh, personal commitment to the forward thinking and technology to utilize to allow uh, men to have babies. And uh, we want to, with that in mind, uh, do whatever we can do to firstly uh, make uh, your audience aware of what is available. And then for whomever is interested, allow them to avail themselves of the technology. Excellent. Excellent. And, you know, we're we're sitting in your office right now. Thank you for having us, despite sure, all of pleasure. the virus stuff, et cetera. Yeah, a little bit of mess. Huh? Uh, <laughs> my husband and I uh, were, were very concerned that we might accidentally walk out of the office with more children than we already have. Let's, let's not have that happen. Um, but what we would love to do is spend a little bit of time talking to you about what's new in the science and technology of, of uh, IVF and sure. of especially, of course, in regards to the way two men go about having kids. Uh, what's changed? Well, you know, a lot of uh, things uh, are happening. So first of all, um, as uh, you're aware, um, for men, uh, we require eggs. So we have to have an egg donor. It mm-hmm. brings in third-party reproduction, which includes egg donors. There are different ways of utilizing egg donors. You could have a fresh donor. You could purchase eggs that have already been produced Mm -hmm. by a donor. Um, The difference being uh, that the eggs that have already been produced by a donor 
are limited in their numbers. They are usually preserved in sleeves of six, hmm. given oh. the assumption that it is, on average, about six eggs that will be required to produce two normal embryos, of which perhaps one will cause a pregnancy. Hmm. If, however, you desire more than one pregnancy, that may not be mm -hmm. sufficient. Fresh donors will always create more eggs. Really? 12, Reliably 16. so? Well, you know, whomever uh, is chosen to be the fresh donor and the intended parent has that as an option, we screen them medically, psychologically, legally, genetically, to be sure that we are comfortable with them. But by and large, a fresh donor should be capable of producing more than 12 eggs. I see. So therefore, a couple who desire from the same donor more than one child, perhaps a fresh donor would be the idea. And does that mean that for the uh, frozen uh, eggs uh, scenario, they have probably been used in for other potential clients. Good point. Yes. Yeah. Understood. Okay. So then um, we create embryos. That's the process of in vitro fertilization. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have an egg donor. We have sperm. Uh, the sperm, interestingly enough, uh, does not have to be of a significant quantity uh, or quality because when we utilize IVF technology, we look for and identify single individual normal sperm per egg and do a process called intracytoplasmic sperm injection. So it's not necessary to produce a lot of sperm, but there has to be a certain quality of the sperm. The in vitro technology itself even though it can be considered standard, is actually far from standard. It is different depending upon the lab that you utilize. Labs have different abilities. The lab that you use uh, should be one that is experienced in doing what we think is important called pre-implantation genetic diagnostics. The reason why human embryos usually either do not implant properly or cause miscarriages are their genetic content. If you don't identify the genetic content, then you are assuming that probably at least half hmm. of the embryos that you're creating are not going to be of use. So you're saying that the genetic uh, characteristics of the embryo um, have more to do with whether or not it even results in a pregnancy than on the body of the surrogate or the woman who would be, uh, who would be carrying it. Oh, that's really interesting. I did right. not know that. The first step then is choosing the egg donor. The second uh, issue then is the laboratory environment. Then we come to carrying the pregnancy, and that's a second situation involving the use of a surrogate. Before you go into that, I do mm -hmm. want to go back and ask you specifically something that, that Jan and I have talked about on the podcast in the past 
when we did this uh, five plus years ago, um, we did we attempted the first time around a fresh cycle, what they called a fresh cycle at the time. For those of you, uh, a reminder that meant that we we coordinated the time that the embryo was produced with the time that the surrogate was ready to have an embryo implanted. It didn't work out timing wise, and as a result, we had to go round again. And since then, a lot of the feedback that we've gotten from professionals has been that the difference in success rates between a fresh cycle and a frozen cycle are not so significant that they're worth doing and that a uh, a frozen cycle is so much more convenient in that you can stop and then you can move to the next phase. Does that agree with what your experience is and the approach that you take? Yes, and furthermore, uh, in addition to it being more convenient, it's more technically successful because um, the uh, frozen cycle allows you to individualize the timing Mm. of whenever the embryo is best transferred and allows you to then prepare the surrogate. And the surrogate can be transferred the next month, the next year, five years later, it makes no difference. Right. Mm-hmm. Really. We talked to you about, uh, prior to this interview, about uh, the news in, in, in technology as far as uh, IVF. So can you let us know more about what you gave us here? So uh, that has to do with uh, the IVF technology. Uh, there is a technology that is relatively new and not utilized by many centers because of its expense, frankly. But technically, it allows us to do what we call morphokinetic embryo analysis so that instead of taking an embryo out of an incubator once every two or three days and looking at it under the microscope and putting it back and assessing it that way, we have a video camera under the incubator that allows us to continuously monitor all cell divisions over a period of six days, go back uh, at the sixth day, rewind the cell development, and look at it over the period of five to ten minutes and allow us to see what cells are developing normally and which are not. So firstly, it's a very interesting dynamic diagnostic process Secondly, uh, by virtue of the embryo now being in what we call a closed system, they develop better. Because you're not continually exposing them to the outside. Oh, that is absolutely fascinating. And it's a bit of a reality television show for (laughs) a very, very small (laughs) actor. Um, And so you're saying that by virtue of being able to look back from from Mm – the very first moment to this six-day period, you can much more accurately identify the viability or the the potential success of that embryo. Yes, amazing. Um, and so this is a this is a very unusual. This is not a technology that is all over the place at this point. It's yeah. not. It's it's an expensive technology, and um, so a lot of labs, in fact, most labs don't themselves of it because it's expensive in your conversations with prospective parents right now um, do you are you hearing anything common in their I don't know changes in their attitude and their um, tone towards going into this journey 
during this time? Absolutely. What are um, they saying? Well, everybody's concerned, you know, and, and the advice is twofold. First of all, in regard to attempting things at this time, even though it's, it's not clear about what's called vertical transmission or mm-hmm. if a pregnant patient ha- becomes ill, that it's going to be transmitted to their fetus, their embryo. But nonetheless, they're advised to take extra precautions to not become ill. A lot of people are opting to delay um, things for a year or two, whatever. And this technology is perfectly suited to that because we talked a little bit about frozen embryo transfers and uh, they are as if not more effective embryo transfers and it makes no difference whether it's a month a year two years right so for for couples who are concerned about the present pandemic and want to delay their childbirth until after hopefully this is over this technology is perfect right they could do that first part and then decide what to do about the second part yeah wait i I have another question just before we go um it may sound like crazy, but uh, I've, I've read like about a year ago that they were trying to um, turn uh, sperm into eggs and make like two men actually have babies. Do you, have you heard something about this? Um, yes and no. Uh, Tell me. Yes, I've heard, but it doesn't work. Oh, it doesn't <laughs> work yet? To, to, to make a long story short. <laughs> However, uh, as you, I'm sure you might imagine, uh, we have a lot of, of couples, men couples, who opt to have, um, you know, a sperm from each yeah. partner, uh, you know, form embryos. So the embryos are different right. embryos. And some choose to have two embryos, one from each, mm-hmm. implanted in a surrogate at the same time, therefore creating a potential for a twin pregnancy with one pregnancy resulting from each partner. Yeah, that was our cocktail. A different, <laughs> a, a different one. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's very effective. Yeah. Well, right. it was a good try, Jan. But um, <laughs> Dr. Suri, thank you so much for taking Pleasure. the time to talk to us. Thank you for doing what you're doing in the middle of all of this crazy situation. And well, thank you for your support. It's, it's, it's my pleasure. Good luck to, to you. And I'm happy to help in any way I can. Thank Wonderful. you so much. Okay. Thank nice you. Nice to see you. Uh, much has changed in the four or five years since we went through this process. And that's really exciting to me because there were one or two areas where I feel like he came down with a clear point of view uh, that I wish we had gotten five years ago so i thought that was great um some of the new technology that he's talking about is totally cool and and sci-fi ish but sadly uh jan you got shut down (laughs) no two men cannot yet make one biological baby we we can always adopt that's okay anyway (laughs) let's move on with the daddy squared greatest hits and uh in season three we had uh, a co-host we added a third (laughs) <laughs> Brayden, who is adorable, and he has triplets, um, and I think 
that the story in the first episode where he um where he talked to us about how it's how they discovered that it split was kind of fun we found out in the ultrasound and it was we'd been through this before so you see one circle and one white light and we're like okay one took we'll wait a few weeks and see what the sex is but then the doctor moved the ultrasound wand around a little bit and there was another circle and two white lights and my jaw just dropped wow. and I looked at our surrogate and she goes did it split <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell you that I'm wearing an Apple watch Apple who do not sponsor us but could um, I'm wearing an Apple watch and I'm not making this up as you were describing what happened my watch vibrated and it told me to breathe which it does <laughs> when your heart rate goes up I might have done it again were I wearing the watch. We have we have hung out with him a little bit and his uh, triplets. Um, and uh, it's uh, he's an amazing example of one of those parents where it just works. Yeah, he works. <laughs> he does not look like he's falling apart all the time. Yeah. Quite the opposite. Daddy, that's QR.com. On season three, we also touched the uh, gay dads of color, which is something that we, it was hard for us to approach. And we ended up uh, having a, a discussion with, uh, with two dads, two amazing dads. One of them, uh, Joe Aaron Reed, talked to us about the fact that they had twins through surrogacy and he has a, a white husband and they got one black child and one white child. And now when we go out with his white child, the problems that he faces. And I think that sh story shocked me. And that kind of led to our the whole Pride episode that we did early on this summer. Let's hear that story from Joe. You know, oftentimes, if you do see um, a person of color with a white child, it's assumed that they are a nanny, um, right. uh, help of some yeah. sort, a teacher, a tutor, or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, when, when you have a, a child that's having a tantrum in the, the middle of, you know, uh, a store or whatever, and they're screaming, no, 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 and there's a six-foot-two black man grabbing yes. this blonde-haired, blue-eyed child, people are like, who are you to oh. this To this child. Sorry, I cut it off. <laughs> Very nice. Sorry. Very nice. Yeah, that is that that is not a problem that we experience uh, or have ever experienced. And I this is why it was shocking to me. Uh, yeah. Like all of the problems, the added, the added. Um, yeah, a layer on top of what of is already what, a pretty difficult yeah, experience of that, having children. The gay dads of color suffering. That's yeah. um, really horrible. Yeah. We're coming towards the end, and I want to just say that for us, although we have kids and everything, the fact that we had dogs was our first experience with fatherhood. Yeah. Yeah. We are considering ourselves as dads of dogs as well. <laughs> um, as I know not all of the parents, not all of the dads agree with us, but, um, that's, but they're wrong. That's, that's how Ooh. we feel. Um, we touched the subject of dogs a, a few times uh, throughout uh, throughout our show, and this is from season one. One of the myths that um, veterinarian Mark Hibbert, medical director of VCA TLC Animal Hospital, and uh, the veterinarian of our dog, rest in peace, rest in Kube, peace. Um, and he told us that. There's a really good myth, actually, is chocolate. Oh, seriously? So. So let's talk about chocolate for a okay. minute. So chocolate I don't worry about in my home with my pets from this perspective. Chocolate is not toxic unto itself, probably any more so for you than for your pet. The problem is 
So for we'll pick and the type of chocolate's important as well. So let's pick milk chocolate, solid mm-hmm. milk chocolate. The toxic dose is about an ounce per pound. And by toxic, that means you have to eat a certain amount before it adversely affects you. One of the most toxic substances in your home is salt. You don't think of it as being salt, uh, toxic because most of the time you're not going to eat that much. But per gram, it's like <laughs> one of the worst things. If you eat too much, it can cause seizures and all kinds of things. Okay. So chocolate, if you ate the toxic dose is an ounce per pound, if I ate 160, I think I was 164 the last time I weighed, if I ate 164 ounces of milk chocolate, oh. I would be really ill. Uh, to get on to back to the some really toxic things, raisins and grapes were banned from my house when we had dogs because they're not predict. We don't know what causes them, It's um, but they, they can potentially be fatal even if uh, like a little box of, you know, little tiny boxes of raisins for yeah. like a retriever, you know, a medium to large sized dog that can uh, be potentially uh, can cause kidney wow. failure. Wow. So, and same with grapes. Yeah. That was surprising. Yeah. I'm, that, that was surprising to me. Um, the business about the chocolate and the business about the grapes and raisins. I will point out though, that you haven't given up and you are still going to be afraid of chocolate around the dogs. You will yes. when we get dogs, which will be soon. Very just soon. so you all know in September, we're getting another dog. Yes. I just want to say that on the podcast so that I will have no choice, but to do it. I still don't have a choice, but to do it. <laughs> um, but right now we're talking about Kube and our dog. And that was a curse that fell on us from the sky. Oh. Uh, we lost our dog uh, last year, yeah. and um, here is one thing, that episode that we did on grief was dedicated to him, and this is what Jesse told us. would keep saying, this shouldn't have happened, this shouldn't have happened, I'm mm-hmm. like, but it did happen, and you saying that it shouldn't happen isn't helping me in any way, because it did happen, mm-hmm. and now that I accept that it happened, what can I do about it? And if anything, like, I know that doesn't always bring comfort. And we're looking for more comfort because sometimes then it just feels like we're in a chaotic world in which we have no control and no power. And that can feel very scary. And sometimes it's okay not to know. And sometimes it's okay to be scared. And I think that's what we do our best is we address the feelings that are arising in the kids and just let them know that it's okay to feel that way. It's okay to have questions. It's okay not to have the answers. Kube was so loved and Kube loved us so much, and that's a really wonderful thing. It's so magic to have that kind of love. And just go back and be like, you know, you can always send Kube love. And just really let them know that, like, like you can always love Kube. And every time you think of Kube, just by how much you loved him and how much he loved you. And if, if nothing else, it's at least a practice that can be soothing to them, you know. Mm-hmm. And it gets them more into a, a loving heart space about it. Um, because, like, listen, like, since there's been men, we've been trying to figure out death right what is with the way you're cutting these things i'm off? sorry i was i was nervous uh you know what uh we 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 did really share with our then just barely four-year-old kids um kube's death and in an accident in an yeah, accident was... and we we talked to them relatively openly about what that meant um, and I'm actually very happy that we did because I think that um, they still miss him almost a year later. We and, all miss him. Well, yeah, but I mean, they're little kids. And I feel like it's so important that they have that kind of just beginning to have that kind of understanding of, of you know, death being part of life. Yeah. 
And we have a picture of Kuba here, right in our, in our office, in our house, and he's always going to be part of us. We're not going to end up the... I should hope not. <laughs> ...on that note. Um, on the season finale on ep- of episode two, we did uh, Daddy Square Movie Awards. And we had Daniel Leary on, which, who said something really interesting that I thought um, is kind of what we're trying to do here is like a movement of gay dads to be to influence um, the reality of in society. As Shh, don't tell because then people will know about the conspiracy. What you have done here is so important, right? Because that's why they evolve is because of the pressure that parents are putting on creating movies that tell more inclusive stories here right. here and and as audience members showing up for those movies too even if you know the people on screen don't look like you or it's a different culture if you're you know going to see coco you don't need to have hispanic background to go <laughs> right. see a movie like coco and, and think it's a absolutely fabulous movie and so i think also for all of your people your listeners who work in this industry push for that diversity because it yes. means it means so much especially for kids of color if you're watching a movie and you see kids that look like you and are in familiar situations and I hope in the next year or so we'll see a movie that features a same sex couple parent yeah. couple so they can just see oh I'm reflected on screen that's my experience and I, want, and I, I can share that with others it means so much and yeah. for unfortunately for so many years Again, it was a white cast, yeah. very heterosexual. It was very by the book. Well, you know, there's a podcast featuring two gay men um, that you're listening to right now. I'm saying that he was talking about the dads in the industry, and I think it should be everybody, not just the dads of the industry. We, we are trying to make an influence here. Yeah, uh, we're trying to, um, and it's not only about movies; it, it's about everything. So we want to have the gay dads influence, and and I think that we are cool enough for the mothers to listen to us, and then we change everything forever. The that mothers, the mothers love us. Are you kidding me? Come on. <laughs> um. So if you have. Any comments or anything or suggestions, please write to us at hello at daddysqr.com. Alex, we're going to finish up with our game. So we had uh, on season three, we had Head, Heart and Crotch game. I'll remind you. No, I remember it. I'll give you three celebrities. Yes. And you'll divide them. Who's your head, heart and crotch? Okay? Um, All right. All right. I'm ready. Chris Hemsworth. Crotch. <laughs> <laughs> Wait until I finish. No. Chris Hemsworth. Crotch. <laughs> Chris Evans. Crotch. <laughs> I don't think this game is working. <laughs> okay. So head, head, head heart, and again? crotch is uh, is uh, the three lights that lit on. We talked about it in, in some sort of a therapy episode. Mm. When you see a person and you fall in mm-hmm. love with him, you have three lights, head, head right. heart, and crotch. It's funny because so, E.T., the extraterrestrial, he only had the heart light. Oh, did I make that? Did I make that? You can pull that out. Right. <laughs> um, so, uh, it's, oh, are we playing the game again you, now? We're, we're going to play, play the game again, but I think celebrities is too easy. All right. We're going to play this game with U.S. presidents. Okay, so I'm not considering this president Ooh. because he's not considered a president to me. So let's say... Uh, just a minute. 
He is the president of the United States, duly elected. It's awful. He needs to go, but he's the president of the United States. Go on. All right. Barack Obama, George Bush, Bill Clinton, head, heart, crotch, go. Oh, wait. Barack Obama. George Bush. Which George Bush? W. Bush? W. The George W. Bush. The younger. And? Bill Clinton. Oh, God. All right. Barack Obama is the head. That's that's obvious. Um, uh, Bill Clinton is... Oh, Who's the right, I'm going to surprise you. Yeah. Bill Clinton is the heart. And George W. is the crotch. When George W. was young, he was crotch worthy. You know, I would choose exactly the same. Oh, really? Yes. We're so compatible. <laughs> That's it for... Hail uh, to the chief. <laughs> That's here for uh, today, the greatest hits episode. I thought. I hope you enjoyed our little time travel. Um, again, if you have something to write to us, please, please do. We are on a break now, but we would Not love for very to, long. We would love to hear from you. Hello at daddysqr.com. If not, we'd love to see you on social media and please stay in touch with us. And me, I'm Jan and Alex, we're going to say goodbye for now. We love you. Take love care. Love you guys. Bye. If you're thinking of growing your family, Dr. Mark Suri, Medical Director of Southern California Reproductive Center, is a great person to talk to. Not only is he a true ally for the gay community, his IVF practice is considered one of the most technologically advanced in the world. Whether you decide to go with a surrogacy agency or not, whether you are planning to have a friend as a surrogate or to find an egg donor, Dr. Suri will make sure to guide you through the process with utmost care and expertise. Take your first step toward having the family you've been dreaming of and request a consultation with Dr. Surrey today at daddysqr.com slash scrc. Daddysqr.com <laughs>